Welcome to the Pattern Podcast from KXE in London. As a church, we want to learn ways of being with Jesus, becoming like him, and doing the things he did in order to see the city we love transformed. This podcast is a resource to help us explore these spirit-filled patterns of living and start putting them to practice every day. This is a podcast on how we study the Bible in a way that helps us be with Jesus. Lots of us have questions about the Bible or just don't even know where to start, so we got in Graham Tomlin. Graham is the Bishop of Kensington and a theologian who makes very complex ideas accessible to simpletons like me. Graham, thank you so much for joining us today. Good to be with you, yeah. yeah, And speaking on the subject of Bible study, which I know a lot of our people and I have a lot of questions around Mm. the Bible. Um, So just starting off, what is the Bible and why does it have anything to do with our lives? Mm. Well, the Bible is, on one level, it's very simple. It's a library of books that have been collected together over a long period of time, connected to the history of Israel, the emergence of the Christian church, um, but I think in broader terms, I, I suppose I would describe it as um, the sort of divinely shaped and ecclesiastically recognised account of revelation. In other words, you know, God has re- Christians believe that God has revealed himself through the history of Israel and the coming of Christ and the events around the uh, coming of the Spirit um, or the sending of the Spirit. And um, the quest- But the question is, how do we know about those things? How do we know about God's revelation of himself in those crucial events? And uh, the answer is because people wrote it down. Um, the people wrote it down, we believe, in some way under the guidance of God's Holy Spirit so that we have this text that points us to the, the, uh, the, the events of God's revelation, the events of salvation that took place. And that's why it's significant for us because if we believe that, um, that at the heart of Christian faith, God has revealed himself definitively in the person of Jesus, um, uh, and all the history of Israel that, that leads up to that and then the coming of the Spirit uh, subsequent to the um, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus, the, the text that tells us about that is going to be crucial because otherwise we, would, we wouldn't know about it. And so that's why it has sig- significance for us because it tells us of revelation, it tells us of salvation, and we desperately need that. We need to know where we came from, who God is, uh, what kind of character he is about. Uh, we need to know how we can be rescued, how we can be changed, how we can be transformed. And this is the text that tells us. And um, what does it mean to to read the Bible and study it? Like, how does that kind of differ from other ways of just reading the Bible? Well, I suppose you can um, you can read it on your own. You can just um, read a section of it every day, and that's a good thing to do, just to, to read it and then pass on. Um, but I suppose by my study, we're talking about either studying it with other people or maybe studying it in the context of reading sort of the writings of others. And I, I think that's... It's significant because when we read the Bible, we never read it on our own. Um, we're always reading it with other people. Now, even when we read it on our own, we're always we've always got the sort of voices and and um, echoes of other, what other people have said to us, positively and negatively sometimes about the Bible in, in our background. Um, but that idea of studying the Bible in company with people who've read the Bible in the past, I think, is a great thing. I, I, my um, I, mean, I, I love the whole story of history of the Christian Church, and it's ways of thinking about God and the way that's developed over the years. And so um, so when I read the Bible, I'm conscious of reading it with the great Christians who've engaged with the Bible over the years. And, and therefore, Bible study is a way of doing that, not just with my friends who happen to be around and who can help me understand bits of it that I wouldn't see otherwise, but also in the company of people like St. Augustine or you know, John Calvin or Thomas Aquinas or 
or you know, Carol Bart or these great figures who've deeply wrestled with the Bible in the past and really can help me see parts of the Bible that, um, or see depths in it that I wouldn't otherwise otherwise see. So I think that's what's significant about Bible study. You're opening your eyes to other people's perspective on the Bible rather than just your own. And um, we've put this down as a practice of um, how to be with Jesus, but how can like reading a collection of books and, and hearing what other people say about it actually help us um, develop intimacy with Jesus? Well, it seems to me it's, 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 a, it's a collection of books that has a unity to it. It's not just a random library. It's a, it's a collection of books that has a sort of focus. And the focus only for Christians, is the person of Jesus Christ, that in the Old Testament, the whole thing leads up to the revelation of God uh, in in Jesus Christ. Now, the rest of the New Testament flowing out of it is the implications of the coming of Christ uh, for human life and for human community and how we understand ourselves and God and, and everything else. And so because it's a book that focuses upon, upon Jesus, um, that's why it's, it's kind of essential in a way for our, uh, our developing fellowship with Jesus, because otherwise we would not know this Jesus we're talking about. He would be a name. He would just be a, a blank, if you like. And um, and obviously the Gospels are central to that because they show us the person of Jesus, the teaching of Jesus. Uh, but you can't really understand the Gospels without understanding the history of Israel that lead up to it. You can't really understand the Gospels without thinking about the kind of community that came out from it, which is what the rest of the New Testament talks about. So it's a book that, that it's a set of books that keep, keep, keeps you coming back again and again. To Jesus, and if we're to be close to Him, as you would with you close to anybody, you need to know who that person is. You want to get to know every single aspect of their personality, and this is a book that points you in that direction. And so, therefore, it's crucial for our our kind of ongoing fellowship with Christ. Um, I think the other thing I'd say about it is that one of the things Jesus says to us is that if, if we are to live the Christian life, we have to to, to, to abide in Him, to remain in Him. And an uh, important part of what that means, as he says in one part of John 17, if, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, and that allowing the words of Jesus to abide in you, to rest with you, that's a crucial part of that intimacy with Christ, that abiding in Christ day after day. So uh, you know, knowing those words, remembering them, holding them in your heart and your mind, uh, it's hard to see how you can be intimate with Christ without having his words close to your heart. Mm. I think I think one of the stumbling blocks that some people might have with that is that how do you make the connections of the way of Jesus and the first Christians um, and how we live our lives today and, um, in such a different time, such a different culture, how do we make mm. those connections? Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I, when I read the New Testament, I'm, I'm often struck as, as much by the similarities of culture as I am by the differences. Um Yes, there are there are sort of significant differences from, from our culture, but the kind of things Jesus talks about, you know, you go through the Sermon on the Mount, for example, you know, Matthew 5 to 7. He talks about anger. He talks about relationships. He talks about swearing. He talks about um, uh, peace and anxiety. He talks about all the very things that you and I are facing every single day. And um, that's why this book has kept on being read. Um, it strikes me that, you know, books go out of fashion. Uh, books that no longer speak to the needs of a particular culture begin to sort of disappear. But the Bible continues to be read right the way across the world. Um, and, you know, you go to, I just spent some time in, in China where the, the, um, you know, the Christian church has grown from being almost nothing to about 75 million Christians in the last 50 years. And the Bible is just exploding. It's the biggest selling book in China. Um, and so um, it's, it's a book that just keeps on speaking into people's cultures right the way across the world. And I think it does that because it addresses so many of the very things that we, 
we 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 have to face as well. Now you have to do a little bit of cultural transposition. You have to look past some of the cultural things that look a little bit strange to us. Um, but say so, again, with the help of other people and with the help of really good guides to the Bible, you can do that kind of work. It's mm, really helpful. And I think another um, kind of marker of our time is this kind of idea around truth. Mm. And are we in a post-truth society? Um, and I think then reading the Bible, which claims to be true, mm. like um, how can we how can we trust it? Yeah, I guess that word truth is a um, it's a really vital word, but it's a quite a complex word, isn't it? Um, we believe in all kinds of different sorts of truth. There is kind of documentary truth, actually what happens, but then there's the interpretation of that truth. There's people who are true. You know, do you trust people to be true to their word and that kind of thing? Um, uh, you know, you think of a historical novel. Um, you know, to what extent is it true? A historical novel is often is one that's based in historical events, but it's giving an interpretation of that, of those events in the light of the current context. And so there are all kinds of ways in which we think of, of truth. And I think when you come to the Bible, you have to be aware of that, um, the, of the difference of genres of, of writing that there is within it. And you're asking, what kind of truth am I dealing with here? Um, you know, a letter has a different kind of truth from a history book. A bit of poetry has a different kind of um, truth from a, from, from a work of prophecy, a sort of, sort of political treatise, as many of them are. So you've got all these different kinds of writings in the Bible. And it takes a, you know, it takes, you have to learn how to read it. Um, which, which is a sensitivity to the kind of re- write, writing you're reading and what kind of truth it's speaking about. So, yes, I want to say I, I hold to the truth of the Bible, but that's not a simple statement. Um, and uh, I want to encourage people to be sensitive to the kind of um, the kind of truth you're encountering. But at the heart of it, it seems to me, we are presented with a God who is true in the sense that it can be trusted. I think those words true and trust are quite close together. That's the ultimate question. Is the God that the Bible reveals to us focused in Jesus Christ true in the sense that he can be trusted with our our lives and our history and our planet and everything else? Mm, yeah. Yeah. Have you ever have you ever doubted the Bible? Have you ever always there been a journey of, of increased trust? Mm. Like as someone who has clearly done a lot of mm. reading, a lot of studying around the Bible. Mm-hmm. Um, what's that journey been like for you? Yeah, I mean I, I kind of grew up within a Christian home reading the Bible like kids do and sort of you have no real questions about it. You just take it as it, as it goes. And um, I think it was really beginning to study theology that began to make me think, mm, yes, there's some, some, there are some quite complex questions around this in terms of the historical veracity of some of it and what kind of writing it is and how you're to understand different sections. So, you know, the book of Jonah, for example, are you to take that as a, as a historical account of a whale that swallows a man and sort of, six him up and everything else or or actually is it a novel is it a story that's written to tell you a truth actually I now tend to think it's the latter rather than the, 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 than the former but I suppose what the study of theology helped me to see was that it, this this sense of the the complex nature of, of of biblical truth but ultimately the sense of the simplicity of that that concept of truth which is ultimately about the, tr- the trustworthiness of God um so I suppose, you know, yeah, I went through a period of time when I was studying theology that, that maybe really questioned some parts of Scripture and how I read it, you know, could I trust this, um, and so on. But I think I, I came through that to a sense that, that um, yes, this is a text that I want to orient my life around uh, in the sense that the other thing about the, the, the Bible, I think, is that um, we receive it, uh, in a sense, from the church um, because this is a set of texts that, Christians in the very 
you know, in the days of the Old Testament and the beginnings of the New Testament, have discerned an authority, a character in these texts that no other text quite has. Um, and so therefore, when I read the Bible, I'm reading it not just because I think it's a good idea, but because actually the whole Christian church down the ages is somebody just passed this book on to me and said, this is what you need to read if you're going to be a Christian, if you're going to follow Jesus. And so I've got to take that seriously. I, I received this book from the church. And therefore, um, part of the decision to be a Christian is to say, well, you've got to take some text as your guide to life. And if it's not the Bible, you're going to take some other text. You may not even know what that text is. But I want to say, well, that's the text that I want to, to, to take as my guide to life. But what this text is saying through its many different facets uh, about God, about myself, about the world, about the future, about the past, about the origins of the world, the destiny of the world. That's the framework through which I want to live my life and, 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 um, and live each day as it comes. I actually got asked um, a stand-up comedy night the other night whether the Jonah was real. It got very <laughs> awkward. <laughs> um, I bet, yeah. Um, so on that, just picking up when you just finishing off there, um, about our lives. In an age that craves freedom, um, I think one of the fears of, of reading the Bible and living the way of Jesus that's revealed in the Bible is that it's going to in some way restrict that freedom. Yeah. yeah. I, mean, I think that that's right. I mean, a lot of people have that fear that sort of God is this killjoy God who's going to impose all kind of rules upon you and the rules are in the Bible and that's going to still stop you doing what you want to do. Um and I think the problem with that is it, it assumes a particular kind of understanding of freedom, which actually is a very sort of modern and very time-bound way of freedom, which is the idea that freedom is freedom to do whatever you want to do. Um, uh, now, if you take that idea, freedom is freedom to do whatever I have to choose to do. Um, that's one particular view of freedom. I say it's emerged within the last few hundred years. It wasn't. It's not very old as a way of freedom, but it's something we tend to assume. But it has some real problems in it. Uh, for example, you know, what does it do to our relationships with each other? Um, you know, if I if freedom is freedom to do what I was, what I whatever I want to do, as long as I don't harm anybody else, which is the way we tend to think about freedom. What that does actually is it makes me think of my neighbour as at best a limitation or at worst a threat to my freedom, because you know I might want to play my music loud on a summer's night, but I can't because my neighbour doesn't like it, and so I have to stop doing it. He's a limitation to my freedom, or worse, it might be the other way around. He might want to play his music loud on a summer night. I don't like it. And he's, he's invading my freedom. So it doesn't build relationships. It actually creates this very isolationist, individualist view of life that we're all like little billiard balls that occasionally bump into each other, but we're basically secure in our individuality. It doesn't create a sense of community and togetherness. It doesn't give us any reason to really value one another. So I think there's a real flaw to that view of freedom. But actually, the view of freedom we get in the New Testament, I think, is really different from that. It is the freedom to be the person you were created to be and when you ask, what does that mean? Well, you go back to the teaching of Jesus that says, when he says, you know, what is the purpose of human life? It is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and love your neighbour as yourself. So freedom is the per is the freedom to be someone capable of love for God and my neighbour. And it's freedom from anything that would stop me becoming that. Freedom from economic systems or oppression or injustice that would stop me loving my neighbour. Or freedom from those internal forces of pride and envy and lust and greed and all those things that turn me in upon myself rather than out towards God and my neighbour. And when you understand freedom in that way, you begin to think that actually makes, well, number one, it makes you happy because actually a person who's able to love God and their neighbour creates much better relationships than the person who's turned in upon themselves, jealously guarding their own freedom. Um, but also it creates good community because my neighbour is now no longer a, li a limitation or a threat, but they're a gift. 
I mean, if I've, if I've got to learn to be someone who's able to love my neighbour, I need someone to practice on. I need my neighbour. I need you. You need me. And so um, that view of freedom, I think, is a much better and more sort of, you know, constructive, beautiful idea of freedom than the very narrow, you know, I want to do what I want as long as I don't harm anybody else. And that's the kind of freedom that the Bible actually points us towards. And it helps us become that kind of person. And that's why actually, ultimately, the Bible, I think, is a very liberating book. And what have you observed? We've already talked about some of them, but um, people's obstacles to reading the Bible. And um, do you have any tips of how people can overcome some of those obstacles? Mm. Well, it's partly, um, I mean, all of us, we struggle with the disciplines of life. We, uh, it's part of the just sort of distractions of, uh, of life that we, we have. You know, we are probably the most distracted age that ever, ever was because we've got devices and things around us that can distract us the minute we start feeling bored. You know, we can just go on to Facebook or Instagram or whatever else it is. You know, we're not good at boredom. Um, and we cover up our boredom by by that sort of distraction. So um, Bible reading needs discipline because, as we know, not all the Bible is exciting. Some bits of it, you know, are wonderful and amazing. As soon as you read it, other bits you've really got to work hard at trying to get get to what it's about. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of dis- discipline involved in actually making that time each day. For me, it's first thing in the morning I had to do that because, you know, I'm a morning person. Um, I'm not going to fall asleep at 10 o'clock at night. So for me, if I'm freshest at the morning. And sometimes I want to give the best time of the day to that. Um, and so for me, that first bit of the morning when I've got some time, I'm not troubled by emails or phone calls, uh, I want to give that time to, to, to really allow the words of Christ, the words that speak of Christ, to sort of dwell in me richly, as the scriptures say. Um, so that discipline, I think, is a crucial part of it. Um, I think it's um, I think it, it, it helps people sometimes to, to, to realise that, yes, the Bible is this extraordinarily rich kind of... Um, it's like a it's like, it's like a it's like a rich deep well in which you can find all kinds of things that the deeper you go into it, um, and it's something that has has fed people's lives for thousands of years now, two thousand years since it was it came to its conclusion, three thousand years if you add the older bits as well, and so that sense that this is something that has fed people over centuries and civilizations. Um, encourages people to go go back to it, I think, realising that um, this is really worth it in the end, um, that actually shaping your life by this text um, is something that, that actually can lead to the kind of freedom we we're just speaking about. So I think that those are the kind of things that I think can help people to, um, uh, you know, to, to, to build Bible reading into, into um, people's lives. And also, you know, finding out good books to read about the Bible. You know, ask your friends what are the best books they've read about it. Find a group that will actually sort of sit down and and read through the Bible and wrestle with it together and struggle with it. Because often you have to wrestle with it. The meaning is not always immediately on the the surface. You have to kind of struggle with it, you know, to wrestle with it, to find the um, the truths that are there. And so um, to find good people and a good friend who you can really debate and discuss really openly is a great thing. And I suppose on that that subject, there's a lot of people that I speak to when they're first starting to read the bible um or even they've put off reading the bible is because they're intimidated by it and um, what are any practical steps you've got just for for how to just to start off i think probably the best place to start reading the bible is probably in the gospels um just to start with one of the gospels just read your way through it they're all kind of different ways of doing it um can be a start just to read one through one evening it takes a couple of hours to read through a gospel just to get a sort of sense of the whole thing that's one way of doing it. I think another way is to simply, um, you know, take uh, a, 
a, um, a, a section of the Bible every morning. You read a little bit of it and you just find a one verse, one verse in that Bible, one phrase that you think, I'm going to stay with that verse throughout the day. So you read your section of the Bible. Um, you might want to, you can find all kinds of ways of, you know, Bible reading apps and, you know, things like the morning prayer app for the Church of England that gives you a reading every day. But just to say, say, okay, I'll just take one verse from that, one phrase that I'm going to stick in my mind. I'm going to write it down, put it on my put it on my phone or whatever it is, and just to take it through the day. That can be a good way to start. Um, so I start with the Gospels because they're the, probably the, 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 the centre of the of the, um, the Bible. You then want, may want to move on to some of the, the letters. The book of Philippians, for example, is a great place to start in terms of uh, reading that and then begin to kind of delve into the Old Testament. Um, but that's where I'd start. Um, and for those people who are picking up the Bible and they're, they are new to it and they don't feel like they have um, the background understanding of, you know, who wrote it, the context, um, can, can you get anything out of it? Absolutely, yeah, you, you can. I mean, there's... Um, the Bible can speak to the very newest Christian and someone who's been studying it for donkey's years with all the theologians and all the expertise and the biblical languages and everything else, and you can get something out of it at all those different levels. Um, and um, so I think, you know, sometimes sermons can not help with that because sometimes you can give the impression that you need to know everything about the first century background or the Old Testament sacrificial system. Unless you know that, you can't really understand the Bible. And that's a bit misleading because you can. And I think the reason for that is because when we read the Bible, we, we don't just read it alone and we don't just read it like any other text because actually the Holy Spirit is involved in our reading of the, of, of the text. So every time you, you sit down with the Bible um, as a Christian, um, you read it, if you like, in the Spirit. And you, as you read it prayerfully. And if, if we believe that it's the Spirit who inspired the people who wrote the Bible, it's the same Spirit that helps us as we read the Bible. Then there's a connection there, which means that you can get things from the text of Scripture that even when you don't know the background. Now, we have to be, you know, sometimes we can see and read things into it that might have to be corrected because, um, you know, that they're kind of completely way offline with what was originally being being um, being said there. But that isn't to say that, that you know, even if you don't know much about the Bible at all, you can gain something fresh because... There is this dynamic in Bible reading where the Spirit is somehow able to take texts of Scripture and speak into our lives in a very powerful, immediate way. Um, that uh, that actually means you don't always need that great background. It's great to get it, you know, and the more you read the Bible, the more you grow in your understanding of Christian faith. That's so helpful because it opens out more vistas within the scripture but that isn't that doesn't mean to say you, you have to know all that stuff before you can get anything from the bible at all because the spirit helps you as you read okay and what about those people who have been reading the bible for years and years and just kind of got stuck in a bit of a yeah. rut what would you say to them yeah try a different translation um there's something about occasionally looking at a, at a brand new translation of the bible that just freshens it up um so there's one i've been using recently by um the uh the, the scholar david bentley hart who's written, who's sort of translated um, the whole of the New Testament. And um, it's great. You know, he just takes a really fresh approach to it. He's, uh, you know, passages that you think you know pretty well uh, suddenly strike you with a freshness because someone's taken a, a, a new look at it. And um, there are a number of sort of new translations around. So if you if you get a bit bored with the one you're with, you're with at the moment, uh, remember translations are translations. They're not, you know, if you can read the Greek, that's great. Um, that's, that's the best way in some ways, actually, you know, Greek and Hebrew, then you get down to the, the heart of it. But if that's a bit of a sort of you know stretch, just go for a new translation and um, work with that for a year or so, and just 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 and it can just freshen up whole approaches to the Bible. 
That has been really helpful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Pattern Podcast. If you'd like to explore more spirit-filled patterns of living, head over to pattern.org.uk.